Welcome to the Super Sentai Brothers. This is episode three of For Your Eyes O-Ranger, the internet's best and only podcast dedicated to Cherokee Sentai O-Ranger. Every week we watch an episode of the show, we share our thoughts with you, the listener. My name is Matt J. With me as always is my co-host and brother Dave. Dave, how you doing today, bud? I'm good, man. Nice. I am good. That's what I like to hear. Yeah, thank you. Um... I know that there are other reasons that you are good, but I like to think that part of the reason that you are so good is that we, today, are watching episode three of Cherokee Sentai Ranger called Crisis, The Secret of Cherokee. Well, man, it's not hurting my mood any. I can say that much. Nice. Uh, well, let's talk about the other things that are influencing your mood, Dave. Let's roll right into our opening segment, Dave, because shining into heavens, there are five stars. What? is our first star of the week. So our first star of the week, Matt, is that it is show weekend. Nice. So, oh yeah, um, sorry. For those of you who have just joined the show, I'm a high school teacher and I teach English, but I also teach theater. And so I we I help run the, the musical along with the choir director and then I do other shows as well. So it's, uh, it's show weekend. And actually, Matt, more, more importantly, it has just stopped. Being show weekend. We just, I got home from the last show. And man, I love doing the shows. I, I love it. I love working with kids and putting on these productions. And uh, we, I work with a bunch of really talented kids and it's super, super cool. But boy, howdy, does it take up time. Yeah, and um, we, are, we are catching you in the immediate uh, sort of relief of being done with this. Like you got yeah. home from the last show, what, like 40 minutes ago? Yeah, I got him for the last show, and we are, and I like sorted myself out, and we're recording this thing right now. So I am actually in the middle, because it's like I, I work all week, and then I kind of work all weekend, and then I work all week again. Like, I don't have days. It's, so it's just a 12 straight days. And this is super great, Matt. Somebody at the district uh, did not, like, pay attention to the scheduling, because the show is the same weekend every year. Like, it's sure. always, like, right in this zone. And parent-teacher conferences are scheduled for tomorrow. <laughs> so I should not be laughing at that, but I no, am anyway. I mean, it's Listen, uh, it's fine. It's fine. So I will be at work for 13 hours straight tomorrow. Good so gravy. That's going to be just awesome. Like, it's going to be so great for me, for that thing to happen to me um but anyways but the show was great and uh and the kids nailed it and uh that was uh so that was super cool man um i think actually i think a couple of them do listen to this show i, I may have mentioned it like at one point do they so, really yeah uh, something somebody was talking about power rangers and i like let it slip uh to just like some of my theater kids so some of the kids that like i work with a little more extensively and like i know them i know them pretty well so, uh, great job, guys, if you happen to listen to the show. So, that's really it, man. I'm just like, I, listen, I wish I had jokes about this. Um, it's just a star because it's such like a sweet sense of relief. It's like... No, no, dude, I get it. Yeah, it's like, um, you know, like if you go ice skating 
And then like ice skating is fun and then you take the skates off and it feels so incredible. Oh yeah, it is even if you don't like ice skating, is it it is worth ice skating just for that feeling of taking the skates off at the end of yes. the day. So anyway, so it's like that. So the show is over and I'm my life is gonna go back to normal uh for like three whole weeks before rehearsals for the next show start. But it's a much more it's a less intense show. So it's a big deal. So that um that's the first star of the week, Matt. What is our second star? Of the week. Uh, Dave, our second star of the week is that uh, as we record this, it is very early November, uh, yep. which means that we have just had Halloween. Yeah. So, you know, happy happy Halloween to anyone out there. Have you, you belated know, Halloween? At this point, I it's guess. like a week or two late once you hear this. Um, but we had our office Halloween party, which is something oh, that fun. we do every year. Um, last year, it was a star because it was one of the most awkward experiences ever. Because it was a, uh, we got ambushed with a murder mystery dinner at lunch in the office. Um, you may recall that uh, from a year ago. I do. Uh, this year was a lot more low key. Uh, partially because we're doing, partially because of, you know, feedback from last year. And partially because <laughs> uh, we're doing a bunch of construction in the office right now. So there's not actually a ton of room in where we normally would have this sort of stuff. Oh, okay. So we had to sort of like recalibrate and like scale it down and move it to another part of the building, which was totally okay. fine by me. Um, but they did manage to bring a little of that magic back, Dave, from the previous year, just to get a just a little bit of awkwardness in. Uh, they brought in a performer, you know, like you do. Like you do, I guess? Um, but the problem with this is that the performer they brought in was a... What I can only assume to be, like, had a Halloween-themed act, but he was an Elvis impersonator. Okay. I'm sitting at my desk, right? And I, the calendar event comes up on my computer, like, oh, you have a, you know, work party to go to downstairs. So I finish up whatever email I was working on, and I shut down my computer for the afternoon, and I walk over, because I know there's going to be food and drinks and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's nice to not be having to sit at your desk and actually be able to socialize with your coworkers. Um, and so I walk over and there's like a, I'm, I'm catching the very tail end of what seems to be a like musical intro act where this guy has not yet appeared. Right. We're just listening to like the script of some spooky, like basically like some goosebumps story. Right. To get you in the mood. Um, and then this guy rolls up in the sort of early Elvis outfit, but not the early Elvis, like, human age. This man was clearly into his 40s, but was dressed like Elvis from his 20s. Like young, okay. Um, and he pulls out a microphone and starts singing, and I walked back to my desk and turned my computer back on and went back to work. (laughs) Um, Because I, because he was standing sort of, I had to, you know, there's only one staircase in that part of the building. So to be able to get down there, I would have to sort of walk past where he was. And I was just not willing to, like, risk accidentally having to have this man look at me and have me look at him and have our eyes meet. Because then, like, all of the embarrassment that he should have been feeling, I would have felt in that moment. And my Mm. bones would have turned into jelly and my entire structure would have collapsed. So I just needed to go to work for a half an hour and let him sort of like, you know, sing himself out a little bit to need to take a break. I go down. I get a little lunch. I get a few, you know, I get a drink. It's fine. Um, 
eventually I do go back to my desk uh, to get a little more work done because I had been traveling a bunch and I was super behind on stuff. Yeah. Now, as the party's wrapping up, I think, you know what would be nice if I just went down and grabbed myself like a Coke? You know, like grab a Coke for the road. That's what? fine. Yeah. Man, I just keep, Matt, first of all, I'm loving this story. Don't get me wrong. I just keep expecting each element to be the conclusion. Like, I went back to my desk and then it was done. And I, now, like, I can very tell, I can tell that you were leading into yet another element of this story. And I just, I'm genuinely, like, slightly horrified as to okay. where this might be going. Well, the, the good news is that it's not going to get much worse than what it was before. It was just a ratcheted up version of the exact same thing I already told you. Because when I got back this time, the guy was still singing. The guy had, he had remarkable stamina. This was like an hour and a half later. And he'd been doing a little crowd work, but mostly he'd been singing. And by the way, he was not just singing Elvis songs. He was just singing for a while. Because I feel like you can, if you had two hours, you could probably get, in about half an hour, I think you can probably get through most of Elvis's catalog that like everybody recognizes. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and at some point he was trying to, and I think it eventually did succeed in getting people to like cut up and do karaoke, but we were not at that point of the day yet, because by that point I had already like packed up and left, because I just could not handle it anymore. Uh, but at this point, I went to go get myself a Coca-Cola, and not only was he standing near the staircase, he was literally standing on the landing of the staircase, and had gone through a costume change, and so now he was full-on like Vegas Elvis on the stairwell, and I felt like I was a prisoner. Like, there was literally no way for me to get past him. And I just stood there at the top of the stairs, sort of dumbfounded. Like, what What do I do? I, 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 I can't. I can't go. Is there, a, is I there like a fire escape you could have used? Like, um... I mean, there there was another staircase on like the opposite side of the building, but the cool like the coolers with the drinks in them were sta- were like right at the bottom of the staircase, and that would have put me right back in his zone, and I was not willing to risk that. You know, Matt, you and I share a lot of things as as brothers, as sure, brothers sure. often do. And uh, one of the things that we share that really just get like a deep sense of I don't know satisfaction or maybe uh, fraternal connection is a distaste for mandatory frivolity. Oh, no. It's the worst. And don't get me wrong. I love frivolity. Frivolity is the tops, but... Yeah, no, I love having fun. But anytime someone's, like, you're in a situation where it's just like, no, it's time for fun now. And, like, we have decided, like, what the fun will be. I gent... Like, please just let me go back to work. Yeah, and all... And by the way... All day, all I was thinking was, I don't want to be doing work right now. I would much rather, like, go down and get a bite to eat. But as soon as this thing started, my immediately impulse was, I've got to get back to work. I just, I need to leave. Yeah, we had to do, so we moved into a new building this year. Like, we did, it did a bunch of renovations. And on the first day when, like, all the staff was back, we had a uh, scavenger hunt Ooh, around no. the building. Oh, yes. Yeah, and not like an actual find things, like get pictures of yourself doing X. Um, it was awful. Um, but you know what, Dave, is not awful? Is whatever our third star of the week is, Dave. What is yeah. that third star of the week? Okay, well, actually, Matt, you may have spoken a tiny bit too soon. <laughs> our third star of the week is the new... ABC television series, The Inhumans. Oh, okay. I have not been watching this ABC television show. Okay, so here's the deal. 
It is being, I think, I think this show is being unfairly maligned. Okay. Because, okay, so I, we, we popped up the, we, Beth and I, my wife, we, we started watching the first episode out of a, just out of a sense of like loyalty, I guess, if, sure. if nothing else. Because everything I have read about this show, everything online is like, this show is garbage and it should never have been put on television and like everybody involved in it should like never work in Hollywood again or like I'm being slightly hyperbolic, but not, not too much. But we're like, all right, man. You know, like I'm a comic book guy, and uh, you know, I like Marvel stuff, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna watch the first episode of this show. So we finished the first episode, and we're like, well, we'll definitely watch the second one. Like we just kind of kept watching. It's like, okay, it's not as good as Luke Cage. Sure, it's not as good as Daredevil. It's not as good as Jessica Jones. Like, it's just not. And I think the reason that everybody was is getting so down on this is that they were fully expecting it to be like as good as those shows. Uh, okay, from from early reviews, that was not my understanding. My understanding is that no, everyone me, was me too. Pre- everyone was prepared for it to be not as good as those shows, but were judging it like according to that same standard. Which listen. Like, they are both TV shows. Like, one should be as good. One, you know, each one has the capacity to be as good as the other. So you, it is totally fair to judge them against each other. Um, I mean, so far, I don't actually know anything about the Inhumans show other than it exists and Lockjaw's in there. So, so here's, like, okay. is, it, so here's... is it, like, is it Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. level good, even? Um, I think it's as good as, like... The first season of Agents of She, like you know, listen, it is not a, it is not like a blow your socks off home run from episode one, but like, it's as good as the Flash, it's as good as like Green Arrow. Okay, it's like, it's fine. Like it's a fun show about people with superpower. Like, okay, there are a handful of weird elements about it. Like they messed with Karnak a little bit, which I don't love. And, uh, you know, like, the sort of power levels of various characters have been scaled out a little bit. Like, Black Bolt is not nearly as powerful as he is in the in the comics. Well, I um, mean, listen, and it, if, the, like, anybody who is going to make quibbles about a show based on individual characters' power levels, like, that is not a conversation I'm interested in sharing with them. Yeah, definitely. Um, but, like, it's fine. Like, there's a couple of, like, really fun, like... There are, okay, there are a handful of things that aren't great about it. Like, the CGI is, like, not super great. And um, I heard a lot of complaints about the setting, like, on Adelan, where they're like, oh, it's very, like, cold and weird. I'm like, guys, it's a, literally an inhuman city on the moon. Like, I'm not sure how you want it to look, but I thought it looked fairly cool. Um, and the dude who plays, I feel bad I didn't look up his name, the dude who plays Black Bolt, I think is actually kind of killing it. Yeah. Because of course, if you if you don't know anything about the comics, um, Black Bolt, the character, he has this. Uh, I'm sorry, let me use his full name, Blackagar Boltagon. Thank you, um, thank you. It's good yeah. to respect the man. Right, and uh, he has like a super powerful voice that he actually can't control. So if he speaks at all, it's like super destructive because of like powers. And so the the actor can't talk for basically any part of this, and they do a really really good job of making him like a fully fleshed out character. And having him like communicate with people through Medusa, his wife, and um, he's he's very expressive without actually ever saying anything, and you do really get a sense that he is 
the king and is a regal character and has... So basically what I think is that people have been waiting for Marvel to put something out that they can hate on. And, I, you know, Inhumans is like... It's, I'm not going to say, it's it's the weak link in the chain of Marvel stuff, but, like, it's not bad. It's yeah, just I, not, like, incredible. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I think the movies are typically good. Um, I haven't seen the new Thor yet. I'm really looking forward to it. I think the movies are typically yeah, good, although, you know, some of them are weaker than others. I think the shows have honestly been kind of hit or miss. Like, the ones that are good are extremely good, and the ones that are not as good are pretty forgettable. Um, And I am glad to hear that this one is not maybe, is not so bad as to be, like, a really noticeable blemish, even if it's not, like, the shining thing that they've done. Yeah, like, it's fine. Oh, actually, Matt, very briefly, and then we should, I do want to hear about the fourth star. Have you seen the new trailer for Black Panther? Oh, no. I, I already know that I'm going to watch that movie, like, if at all possible, opening weekend. And so I'm not watching trailers. Like, I watched the first trailer. Yeah, I... No, no, no. I Okay, well, see, I had not seen the first trailer. I oh, usually okay. myself one trailer. Because, like, you, I'm just like, listen, I'm going to go see the movie. I don't want to get too much of it seen beforehand. But I hadn't seen the first one, so I watched the second one. Oh my god, it looks so good. <laughs> it looks so good. Um, okay, Matt, so what is our fourth star of the week? Uh, fourth star of the week, Dave, is another television show, but not a recent one. Oh, okay. So I was looking on Hulu the other day, and I saw that there was a documentary called Too Funny to Fail that was like a Hulu-produced documentary about the history of the creation and subsequent collapse of the Dana Carvey show. Huh. Now, you remember the Dana Carvey show, don't you? Like, I, I, I remember yeah, very fondly. It was on all, like, six episodes of it. Uh, I think they made eight episodes, and they only aired seven of them. But, yeah, like, I remember loving this show when I was a kid. Which, you know, yeah, for the couple in, of weeks it was there. Right, which was incomprehensible to me, because that show was hilarious. Yeah, and I, I feel like there are sort of two great sort of, like, lost short-term uh, sketch comedy shows of the 90s. One was the Ben Stiller show, and one was the Dana Carvey show. Um, and I feel like people of that age are either like a, like, they were either a fan, maybe they were a fan of both, but like, I feel like they were sort of two different worlds. I was definitely like a Dana Carvey show guy when that show existed. Yeah. And like, kind of never knew what happened, because it showed up and then like, immediately went away. Um, and it's this really interesting documentary about how like, it was it was just a weird show, and they put it on primetime right after Home Improvement, and, like, the people involved in the show were not sort of prepared to make a show that followed Home Improvement, and once they figured out that that's what was happening, were not willing to change gears, and kind of at that point were unable to change gears because they had already gone all in on their, like, very weird comedy aesthetic. Yeah, okay. No, that does make sense. Like, because I remember seeing the show and I'm like, this show is incredibly funny. Yeah. And then I remember reading later that, like, it was kind of like a weird launching pad for a bunch of people who have gone on to become super famous comedians. Yeah, well, specifically, um, Steve Carell and Stephen Colbert were both on it. And that was, like, both yeah. of their first gigs. Um, yeah, and it's, um, it's this fantastic, it was this fantastic show and then it just disappeared and it never made sense to me. Looking back, putting it right after Home Improvement, 
Yeah. So if if you want to get a sort of a, a good like picture of that show, it's a it's a cool documentary that talks to all those people. You know, talks to Dana Carvey and uh, like Carell and Colbert and other people who are involved in the show, Robert Smigel. Um, but after it, because I was watching it with our sister Katie, who like yeah. kind of remembered the show but not really. There was one bit that I wanted to find, and I was trying to find it on YouTube. It was from the uh, the episode that was sponsored by Mountain Dew. Where it's Dana Carvey and another guy sitting at a table looking at a glass of Mountain Dew. And Dana Carvey asks the other guy what it looks like. And is clearly trying to get him to admit that the glass of Mountain Dew looks like urine. But the other guy just insists on continuing to say, like, it looks like pure mountain refreshment. Oh my gosh, I I had forgotten that bit. And then as soon as you started saying it, I was like, yep, I remember that bit. It's really good. Uh, So here are the two things that I discovered in looking for that bit. One, that bit lasts like 30 seconds. I thought that was a very long sketch because it stood out so much in my memory. The other thing that I discovered is that I couldn't find it on YouTube because it was on Hulu because not only did they make this documentary, but all eight episodes of the Dana Carvey show are on Hulu now. Hey, nice. So you can actually just watch this dang thing. And you should. It is madness. Um... (laughs) Like I, I would like to go back and watch it now because it's been a really long time. Yeah. And I it's probably a lot weirder than I remember. Oh, dude, it is. Um, <laughs> anyway, so that that is just sort of a general recommendation. Go out and watch, at least watch the documentary. And then if it seems interesting to you, watch a few episodes of the Dana Carvey show because it was wild. So, uh, Matt, what? What is our fifth star of the week? Dave, our fifth star of the week is a commute update. Commute update. Man, it's been a minute since we had a commute update. I know. And listen, I feel like all of the commute updates now are just part of like a like one string because I only remember about the commute update when I see something that latches into the old um theory that we were working on about the fleet of uh like highway pirates that move up and down the interstate between my house and my work oh yeah Mm -hmm. so i saw something the other day and it was like a red sort of like panel van you know like you know like a a, a panel van uh like a work i'm familiar with van uh it was painted all red on the, the driver's side door it said celebrating 75 years of service nowhere on the van did it indicate a brand or service that had been provided for 75 years? It's like they just, they had painted over everything else except for the bit that told you that they'd been around. Um, and I might not have remembered this, except that on the back door of this, you know, one of the two van doors, there was, not big, but big enough to notice, a smallish silver skull and crossbones. Matt. I, okay, listen. I believe you because, like, we don't make things up for this show, but that is the only reason I believe you. <laughs> like, I just want it to be very clear that, like, I am taking it on faith that you're not lying to me and making up a bit for this show. But it 100% seems like you were just making up a bit for this show. Hey, man, listen, I know this sounds like a fiction because we, because we, what do we have now? We've got the cement mixer, we've got yep. the truck. Yeah. You know, like the, you know, like the freighter truck. Uh, yeah. And now we've got this Dr. van. 007. We've got this van, which is basically like, uh, 
I, I'm thinking like the speedboat slash dinghy of the fleet. Like it's a little more maneuverable than the yeah. than the bigger ones, but you can still fit a bunch of people in it for like a boarding party. Uh, anyway, that's it. I just want to let you know that the fleet has been growing. I don't. E- okay. Um. That that's maybe the best thing I've heard all day. Let's. <laughs> <laughs> um. So that's it for the five stars, Matt. What's next, Dave? That was a weird outro because we know what's next. Yes. What's next is that we're going to take a break. We're going to watch episode three of Charaki Sentai O Ranger Crisis: The Secret of the Charaki, and we will be right back. All right, welcome back. So we just finished watching episode three. Uh, Dave, this is, I think, the first episode that has the team already formed at the beginning of it, right? Because the last episode, they were still getting stuff together. Yeah. Yeah, that is correct. Um, So it's kind of our first monster of the week, and I think we're starting off pretty strong on these. So, man, uh, this episode starts off with, like, a flashback over the last two episodes, like it, it normally does. And I normally wouldn't talk about it, except there was something I noticed mm-hmm. in there, which is... So, uh, the O-Rangers are powered by technology from this ancient super-civilization. You got it. And I keep waiting for them to give it a name. And I think they're not go At this point, I think they're not going to. Well, I think that later in this episode, it is referred to as the capital S, capital C, super civilization. Yeah. Which well, I think is just kind of what they're going to do. Yeah, it just seems like they're just sticking with the super civilization. And I really... <laughs> it just seems like a weird creative choice. Eh. I can just... Like, call it Atlantis, man. Like, whatever. Uh, it's just the super civilization. But anyways... So we open up this episode um, on the moon, actually, um, where Bacchus Wrath, emperor of the Baranoia Empire, machine empire, is furious. He's so angry. Oh, he's got Wrath right in the name, Dave. I know I made that joke last week, but I'm going to keep doing it. Uh, He is angry not only that the O-Rangers defeated Barra Saucer, but that the O-Rangers exist. He's, like, kind of offended. (laughs) It's yeah, he does seem like affronted somehow. Like how how dare they? And so he says, "We'll, you know, kind of like we'll show them." And he sends out even more more flying base saucers to attack Earth. So we flip from there and we see the base. We see the um I don't know if they have a name for it, but the the O base, the O Rangers base of operations. And it's an emergency cuz Baranoia is approaching is approaching Earth. And so they're like, "All right, scramble I was about to say scramble jet fighters, but they basically scramble jet fighters. Yeah, and what what I like about this a lot is that we see one of the Baranoia flying saucers like beam down the monster for this week, who is Barra Vanish, and then fly away. And so like that is sort of how they know that a new monster has come. They haven't like been magically teleported to the Earth's surface. Like somebody came and dropped them off. And so the O Rangers are like, okay, well we know there's gonna be a problem because like, like this, we this just, just went down. <laughs> yeah. So they uh, they scramble jet fighters, and it is Goro and what are the two guys' names again? Uh, Yuji and Shohei. Yuji and Shohei. Okay. Uh, Yuji so is Yuji... the Blue Ranger. Shohei is the Green Ranger. Okay. So Goro and Yuji and Shohei kind of like launch out, and I just man, I I'm not going to mention it again. I probably will. I'm going to be honest. I never get tired of watching jets like launch out of the side of a mountain. Oh, it's the best, especially when there's a perpetual snowstorm outside of that mountain. 
Yeah, which I do sort of wonder where in Japan they're supposed to be. I think it's like, just I that they're it high does... enough up on a mountain that like... Oh, okay. I'm into that. That's cool. So here we see. We see Bear, and then we flip back to the city, and we see Bear Vanish. And Bear Vanish, he's got a really cool look. Um, his... It's like a big round torso, but, but it's not, not like a sphere, like a like a disc. Like a saucer more. Yeah. yeah, and it's got man. I, I wish there were more uh, like distinctive elements. I think it's just the easiest way to say it is it's it does have a, it's a, got a big round body, and it's just like a really neat looking robot. Like the lines are cool, and it's got like cool detailing on it. Yeah, it's I, I know what you mean. It's not as though like, oh, here's a cool robot that looks like a drill. It's like, nah, here's just like a big sort of disc robot that looks neat. Yeah. So we uh, uh we Oh, see he him. lands and he immediately vanishes. Like there's sort of yeah. like a wavy, transparent effect, and then he's just gone. Yeah, well that's so so that's where the name comes from. He can in fact turn himself invisible. And so he um he's got one I, I, he's got one sort of like crusher ball hand and then he's got one like grippy hand. Yeah, and he's got sort of like a nodule in the center of his chest that might be an eye and might be like something else. We're not exactly sure yeah. at this point. Okay, so anyways. Uh, and then it's just we get the opening of the uh, of the episode and then we're kind of into it properly. Yeah, we cut to some kids who are playing on a pier. Um, they're having a snowball fight. Just, you know, just Super like kids fun. being kids. Yeah, and one of the kids, he kind of sees something flashing over in the snow, and he runs over, and he picks it up, and it can't be, but it looks for all intents and purposes like a very large diamond. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, like a shiny it's supposed rock, to be, I think, like yeah. a piece of a hunk of quartz or something. Yeah, I also want to point out that none of these children are dressed for winter at all. Oh, not even like a little this, bit. Yeah, like this kid is wearing shorts, I think, and this was the 90s, so these shorts are short. Yeah, he does. Well, it's the early 90s. If it was the late 90s, those shorts would be long. Oh, yeah, good point. Good point. Uh, no, these, uh, yeah, he's wearing like a denim jacket and shorts, and he's got a fanny pack on. And in the fanny pack, he zips it open, and he puts the rock inside, and it's full of other, like, cool-looking rocks. Yeah, there's like a shell in there and stuff. And then uh, Bara Vanish just, like, appears and attacks. Like, appears and attacks that kid. Yeah. Goro, who is flying above in a jet, like, just sort of flying above the city, immediately sees this happen. Like, he is on the point, sees it going down, says, like, aha, there he is. Um, And then proceeds to do the riskiest possible maneuver. So, Bera Vanish is holding this kid, (laughs) right? Like, physically holding the child. And Goro is flying above the city in a jet fighter. Yup. Here's his move. He presses a button on his console. He drops out of the bottom of his jet fighter, which then I guess goes into autopilot and flies away. While Goro falls out while, like, on his motorcycle. Yes. He does not then land the motorcycle and chase after Barrow Vanish. No, he does not. He lands the motorcycle into Baravadish. This is how exacting his trajectory is. That he can fall on a motorcycle out of a jet fighter from the sky and hit Baravadish without even scratching this child. It is astonishing. Listen, Matt, uh, you don't get to be the leader of the O-Rangers 
for nothing. That I is mean, true. Yeah, listen, the other four have already said that they are the best of the best that the United Air Force has to offer, and Goro is the boss of them. So, you know, I just... This is the, this is the caliber of man that we are dealing with. And you know what? Uh, I think it's the best demonstration of the caliber of man that we're dealing with is that he crushes that move. Oh, he does it. He does it so well that the first time I watched the episode, it did not even strike me as an insane move because it's just like, <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. He just does that. That's cool. Uh, yeah. And so he he does this. So the the kid, oh, we find out the kid's name is uh, Kenichi Matsumoto. Yes. And uh, he like he sort of like knocks him out of the way in a safe way. But then Barra vanish again, vanishes. And Goro like but then Goro gets attacked again. And yeah, so after, like, like a couple of things happen, like Barra vanish gets in a couple of invisible shots. And they actually they do a really good job of, of selling that. Well, they do a cool thing where it looks like Barra vanish is dragging him around, which what probably means is they just have like a, a thin cable attached to like a truck that is driving off camera and it makes it look like Goro's being dragged around by nothing. Yeah, it's a good look though. So what they, they at this point Goro figures out, oh okay, this must be some sort of like invisibility monster. Like yeah. that's what that's what this dude's thing is. Um and then we get a cool it's not super long, but we do get a cool dog fight. Yeah. Because um Yuji and Shohei are still up in the air, and there are the, uh, I, I can't remember the name of them, but basically like the Barra Flyers, like the Barra Jet Fighters. Yeah. And, and so we get a cool yeah. dogfight there. Because, like, Yuji sees Goro. He's flying above. He's like, oh, something's happening. Something's attacking the captain. I can't figure out what it is. And he wants to go down to help, but he gets, like, caught up in this dogfight. Yeah. So at this point, it's not super clear exactly how Bar invis- Vanishes Invisibility works. Uh, because, like, it seems to be fading in and out at, at, at semi-random time. So it's not clear if we're in, like, a an invisibility spell sort of situation where, like, you're invisible until you attack someone. Or maybe, like, the field itself is limited. Like, you know, he can only be invisible for, you know, like a minute and a half at a time or something. Like... Because he's definitely not invisible all the time. Right. But it's not clear yet, like, what precisely is making him turn invisible again. He is certainly invisible enough to be a nuisance. Yeah. So, Goro grabs uh, Kenichi, and he's like, okay, we gotta go. And so they run over, and he just jumps in a car. Oh, because the... the car just has the keys in the ignition. Okay, so Barrow Vanish has grabbed Kenichi again. Oh, that's right. And so Goro, to save him, pulls off another vehicular, like, attack hops in as you say uh i think it's a like a late 80s honda civic um you would know better than i would well i used to drive a late 80s honda civic and when he said when he hopped well yeah i was just explaining it to our listeners uh who do not necessarily know what my car used to be um he hopped in the car and i looked at it and i had this like weird flash of like oh my gosh that's my car (laughs) Uh, Well, it wouldn't have been your car for long Because whoever's car was They just left the keys, as I said In the ignition Which, who does that? Well, it it was good news for Goro Because Goro hops in this Civic And just rams it into Barovanish Who is, again, physically holding Kenichi in this moment Kenichi's fine Kenichi is A-OK Listen, man, this is Goro we're talking about. Uh, so he, so, he stops the car. Kenichi hops in. They drive off. 
So they are they're driving, and uh, what we what we see is that they go into a tunnel, and when they get into the tunnel, Bar Vanish like starts pounding on the top of the car, and he appears again, and so he's like, we get a couple. It's a cool sh- couple of a uh, couple of shots where he's like, he punches through the car, and he's like trying to get the kid, and uh, Goro is like trying to drive in such a way to knock him off. He's not ultimately successful. He, well, sort of. They just crash. Well, okay, so <laughs> <As> they, <laughs> they, they get out of the tunnel, um, and Bear Vanish disappears again once they sort of get out of the tunnel, and the car sort of flips over, and Goro manages to, like, like protect Kenichi as they're crashing. Like, he sort of, like, gets his arm up to, like, make sure that he's braced against the, against the seat. But when they land, Bear Vanish is sort of, like, trapped under the car, right? Because he was on the roof, the car has flipped, and now he's sort of, like, under the car. Goro yeah, and Kenichi, visible again. Yeah, and Goro and Kenichi use this opportunity to, like, run away as the car explodes. Yeah. So, there are, we see the flyers, the Barra flyers, uh, you know, flying around. They get in, they shoot at Goro and Kenichi, but they miss, and then Goro and Kenichi end up in a tunnel like they just find like a tunnel and then the flyers are like okay well we can't get down there so they leave and it is at this moment that i pause and have sort of a moment of silence for that late 80s honda civic because it was in such good condition dave if they just hadn't blown that up maybe i could have had that car someday because all i want in my life is to go back to driving a late 80s honda civic and i know they're not the perfect car but you know that thing when you see like your first car yeah oh i've got i've got a soft spot in my heart Anyway, no, I'm not going to say that's anyways, that's not really related to this episode, except no. that I, I had a very strong feeling while watching it that I wanted to share with you. Although I will say, man, I, I feel like you could probably find a late 80s Honda Civic if you wanted one. Nah, they all got traded in when they had the cash for clunkers thing. There's not a lot on the uh, road anymore. So anyways, uh, Goro hops on comms and he is trying to get a hold of uh, base, but comms are down. He can't he can't get through to anybody. And. He's like, you know what? This might be... He's like, we got to figure this out. They might be somehow blocking our communications. The Baranoia Empire, that is. So he turns to Kenichi and he says, listen, these Bara enemies are very clearly after you specifically. Do you have any idea? Like, do you know why that is? Do you have any... You know, do you have a guess? Like, why are they after you? Now, despite the fact that this kid got attacked literally seconds after picking up like a brand new shiny rock that he had never seen before, he says, no, I have no idea, and I'm really scared and confused. Now, it is going to turn out that that rock has nothing to do with why he is being attacked by the nothing. It is a complete coincidence. It's a total freak out on their part. But the fact that Kenichi doesn't say, like, well, I don't know. I picked up this weird rock, like, literally seconds before it happened. Maybe that has something to do. Like, it was a good fake out on the part of the writers that it wasn't had anything to do with that rock. Because, like, we, the audience, obviously assume that that is the case. But the fact that Kenichi is, is flabbergasted makes no sense to me. Well, you know, Kenichi lives a sort of lifestyle where he's picking up a lot of rocks. That does not strike him as a weird thing to have happened in his day. And we know this because his fanny pack is full of fancy rocks. And as he's talking about being scared, he opens up the fanny pack and pulls one of these rocks out. And he's sort of holding it and looking at it and closing his eyes. And Goro's like, uh, hey dude, 
Nice rock. What's up? And he says, oh, I got this rock years ago with my dad. And we cut to a flashback. Yeah. So we get this flashback scene, and it's Kenichi and his dad, and they are standing in a river, and the dad picks this rock up. And he kind of go like, okay, he explains how erosion works. Yeah. Like, he's like, this is how rocks go from being large rocks to small and smooth rocks. But he, he, cool. sort of, he sort of talks about it in a way that, like, personifies the rock. Like, yeah. the, like, to get to the point where it is in your hand and small and smooth and in this river, it has had, like, this whole life of, you know, where it started and how it got here and so forth. So, like, yeah. even, even these things are in their own way sort of alive and struggling to survive. Yes. Uh, his dad is... is his dad is like a park ranger. Yeah. Oh also, his dad is played by the same actor who plays Burai, the Green Ranger in Zhu Ranger. Oh, thanks, man. I didn't obviously I did not know that. Yeah. So yeah, he does say like everything the dad says. He says everything is working hard to survive. Which if that is a thing like I get it, and if that is a thing you're going to say, that's a good thing to And he talks about like the journey that things take and how like we're all sort of connected in a way. Which, like, yeah, that's cool. And if that's a lesson you want to teach your kid, like, that is great. It makes a ton of sense. But you are literally talking about a rock that is not alive. Well, you and know. And so does not need to struggle <laughs> to... It's a rock. Well, you know, Dave, it's... Listen, we needed to get two things across here. We needed to get across that his dad was a good guy who liked talking about the Earth surviving. We also need to get across that Kenichi picks up a lot of rocks. Because that yes, is an important part of this episode. Man, I feel really silly. I was so excited to talk about this scene. There's a scene we totally missed. Uh, it's a very brief one. And we go, because it, it takes place on the moon. And we see Bulldont, which is the awful prince, son prince of Bacchus Wrath. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's furious because they didn't get this kid. And the reason that they didn't that they want this kid, that they want Kenichi, is that Bulldog thinks that this kid knows something about Choriki energy slash like Choriki technology. Yes. Oh, we also in this moment have a brief scene at the headquarters. Um yes. where Momo and the chief and Jurai are like yeah. researching this kid to try to figure out like who is this little kid, and why like, would the paranoia yeah. be after him? Yeah. Now, I would just like to point out that uh, Momo and Juri are back at the base on comms while the dudes are out in jet fighters, which is a little uncool. It is a little uncool. It's a, Actually, it's a lot uncool, guys. It just is. wanted to point that out. Now, as it happens... we have already established that Momo and Juri are... Like, super competent yeah, jet peoples. Now, I don't know what they would be, but the gunners, maybe? You know, jet know peoples. As it jet happens, peoples. they back at the base are being way more useful than Yuji and Shohei are just, like, flying around aimlessly. But the, the fact remains that, you know, they should not be stuck uh, on comm duty. So we cut back to this underground tunnel where Goro and Kenichi is. And, of course, Goro has not been able to talk to anybody, so he does not know that there are is anything special about this kid. He's like, what on earth is happening? Uh, But he does not have time to really think about what is happening because the sort of grunt Barra soldiers show up in the other end of this tunnel and start chasing them out again. Yes. We cut back to the headquarters 
Jury is like, oh, I know who this kid is, and pulls up like a picture of him. Like she has finished doing her research. The chief looks at Kenichi and is like, oh, I know this kid. Like I, I now understand right. why they're after him. So what we find out is that Kenichi's proclivity for picking up rocks that he notices, like here's why it's important. This kid, Kenichi, is the one who found the very first like stone tablet fragment in the super civilization ruins. Yeah. Like sent it into where, or he gave it to his dad and his dad sent it into wherever. And the chief got a hold of it, I guess, because he's the archaeology, whatever, whatever. And he's like, we got to go figure out what's going on. And he went back to that site where Kenichi had found this first piece, excavated it, found the rest of the tablet explaining like how Choriki energy works, and then used that to build the entire O program. Yeah, and so if the Baranoia Empire can get a hold of this kid... They can, like, use... Okay, so, like, Momo and Jerry say, like, well, yeah, but this was two years ago, and this is a nine-year-old kid. Like, he doesn't have any useful information. And the chief says, well, yes, but the Baranoia Empire can probably use some sort of crazy science machines to, like, read his memories. And, like, somewhere in his brain, trapped away, is, like the image of this fragment that he found. And if they can right. find that, they might be able to extrapolate sort of how Cherokee works. And if they can break that code, then we're in trouble because they sort of n- might be able to find a weakness to our power. Yeah. So like, now, we need I to figure this say, out. The only chunk of Cherokee information that Kenichi has like theoretically lodged in his brain someplace is maybe like five percent of this tablet. Yeah, but you know, like, straight up, straight up. If Baranoia can both ex- like use ultra science to extract that five percent, and then from that five percent about Chariki information, extrapolate the remaining ninety-five percent. I want to be real. Bacchus Rass like claim that they are like gods and deserve to run everything. He's not too far off. <laughs> Like, good on you, Bar- If Like, if you manage that one, Baranoia Empire, like, yeah, okay, you guys deserve it. That's, you guys can go ahead and be the overlords. I'm not even sure how you would have pulled that one off. But, thankfully, we are we are not left to that dark fate. Um, yeah, that's, uh, I mean, listen. As I'm you will find out by the end of this episode. Yeah. So, uh, we go to this factory. Oh, yeah, because and- Goro and Kenichi have been chased into this, like, abandoned factory warehouse thing. Yeah, and uh, Baravanish attacks them, and, like, they sort of dodge out of the way and manage to, like, dodge in such a way that they also, like, they use their rogue bonus action to, like, hide while running, and so they, uh, they're hidden, and Baravanish is, is stomping around the factory looking for them, and as he is stomping around the factory, the, he steps in front of a doorway, and there's, like, light shining in from the doorway. And when he steps in front of the doorway, he turns invisible. And then when he steps back into the shadows of the factory, he becomes visible again. Yes. So Goro is able to figure out, like, oh, he is somehow using, like, solar radiation to power his invisibility circuits or something. It's something like that. But the end result is, is he's only visible... Or he's only invisible when he is in full light. 
Yeah. Full sunlight. Yeah, which is, I think, is like a really, that's like a fun thing. Yeah. So and it, it's, as, it sort of feels backwards of how an invisible invisibility power should work. I think and so that's I really dig why it. I dig it. Yeah, exactly. You would expect it's like, oh, he's invisible in the shadows. But no, this dude's only invisible when it's super bright out. Which, when you think about it, is actually way more useful. Oh, yeah. Um, so. So Bulldog uh, shows up. Yes. Um, he, he notices Goro and Kenichi immediately. Oh, yeah. Like, straight off. He zaps them with a laser. Uh, they sort of fall out of their hiding place. Goro grabs Kenichi and they run outside. At this point, he is tired of running. Um, and he performs his Choriki Henshin and becomes O-Red. And it is, as always, very cool. Yeah. Now, actually, Matt, let me let me jump back a little bit because they spend a, they spend a few seconds running, and they have been running for a really long time. And I really dig how long they have Goro. Like in the context of the episode, I really dig how long they have Goro wait before he drops the henshin. Like it's ve- like they're really doing a great job of selling the idea that like, listen, man, this is like a once per day maybe power that you can use before it's you know would be like too much. Mm-hmm. And Goro is really hesitant to use it until it's clear that he just he absolutely has to, and like this is the moment. Yeah. Now uh, I, and I, I would not be surprised a... if in later episodes of this season they pull away from that a bit, just for you know sort of storytelling convenience. But well, I am you know I'm they've... willing to headcanon that by saying like oh like his body has gotten used to it at this point. Well, you know, like uh, we saw last episode when they, after their very first henshin, the other four were like obliterated and Goro is like tired, but like largely okay. Yeah. And he says, oh yeah, it was like that for me at first. And now I've kind of gotten stronger and like better at it. And so the idea that like as time progresses, they could use this power more frequently absolutely makes sense. But I like the fact that it's early on. He's like, listen, it's just really, really hard to use this superpower. Um, and so when he does do it, it's like an immediate, it cranks the drama up because it's like, oh, now it's like really, really on. As opposed to the Kaku Rangers who, you know, who change to like use the bathroom faster. Yeah. They're like, oh, we got knocked out of our power, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, so. So he, he henchins and then yeah. actually at the same time, the other four show up. They see that like uh, Goro has transformed and is fighting. And they're like, okay, like. This is this is what's up. It's time to get into this fight. Yeah. So they all henshin. And then they, they sort of like get together somehow because it's not... So Goro was like up on top of these like large industrial things. I don't know what they are. And they're all down on the ground. But then they all get up to him. They super yeah. jump maybe. It doesn't... We don't see it happen. They're just there. And then they do the ranger pose. Uh, which is really cool because it's the same ranger pose they did last episode. Um, but in the, the first time they did it, if you go back and watch episode two, they're not like super in sync when they do like, they've got like a series of motions they're all supposed to do at the same time in unison to look cool. And they kind of don't pull it off the first time they do it, but this Ah. time it's a lot, lot better. Nice. And I'm Uh, like, listen, that is probably just like the actors not being used to it yet. But I am choosing to believe that that is also, like, in story. Like, oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah they're getting used to it. It's yeah, fine. We're getting there. So uh, then we just go into a fight. And it is, it's the O-Rangers versus the Gara, the Barra soldiers. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
Bomb Vanish is kind of like, he's not really in this part of the fight. Because as soon as they all show up, he vanishes. Yeah, uh-huh. and th- this is the fight of like the O-Rangers versus the Barra soldiers. There's yeah. most of it. Like, it's a cool fight. And I always, I, I think I'm going to really like watching the O-Ranger fights because all the different O-Rangers have a different fighting style. Which is a bit that I always love in a like Power Rangers or Sentai show. Yeah, and we had it in Die Ranger, and it was really yeah. fun. And then once we got, like, Jetman and Cocker Rangers, is largely not the case, but yeah. we're back to that now. There, um, there's one shot in the fight I want to point out where, like, it's a... Is it Jury Ruining Fools with Nunchucks? Uh, no, that but, my favorite but that's amazing. No, it's actually just a really cool bit of camera work where, like, the, the camera is sort of low to the ground, and it's on, like, this panning tracking shot as Goro is just sort of, like, moving forward through all of these dudes and beating them up and hitting them with his sword and stuff. Um, mm. It's just a really cool, like, long panning track shot. It's great. Yeah, so that is uh, that is really cool. It reminded me, Matt, of one of my favorite moments from one of my favorite video games. Oh, yeah? Uh, yeah, Shenmue. And I won't tell you about that moment because, like, six people have played Shenmue. <laughs> That's not true. More people have played it. But it's a really great... If you played Shenmue... It's the one where uh, he's in the alleyway, and it's like a quick, it's like a really long quick time event, and uh, the the protagonist is just like walking down the alleyway, just like crushing nerds. It's amazing. Nice. Um, so, anyways, so then again, jury is ruining fools with those nunchucks, which is great. Then Bar Vanish re he, well, he doesn't appear, but he does grab Kenichi. Yes, and so he grabs so, like, him. Kenichi gets dragged away by the invisible bar of ash. Yes. And then Bulldog shows up and says, Hey, um, it's time for you to use does he have a name for whatever this device is? Uh he does. He says, You're the only one which is a nice bit of like story like story ra- closing off. He says Bar Vanish, it's time. You're the only one who can get this information by using your navel cord technique. Oh, that's right, because... And I want to be clear, it is not naval like boats and ships, it is naval like your tongue. Yeah, like, because uh, some wires come out of his belly button, uh, which was like... Which those I sort guess of, like, is what that big dome thing is in the middle of him, that's his belly button. And like a little like hat falls on top of Kenichi's head, and yep. Bara Vanish, on top of being able to disappear, also has the ability to like... Pro, like zap your head with lasers and then project your memories in this like giant holographic image in the sky. Yeah. Uh, so he starts doing that and there is a, it's cool. Cause he doesn't just like immediately grab the memories he wants. He has to sort of like run backwards and sift through memories to find the thing he's looking for, which I thought was a nice, a nice touch. Yeah. So it's originally showing like memories from earlier in this episode. And they're like, no, 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 no. go back a couple of years. And he's, he's like scrolling back through basically. Which is neat. And then, so we see Ored, he's like, oh no, what are we going to do? Like we have to stop him from getting these memories. And it seems like the way the camera work plays, it seems as though Ored has figured out this like awesome plan where he's going to like do something with sunlight to like mess up Bara Vanish because he knows that like Bara Vanish relies on sunlight. And so he like drops down and he pulls out Star Riser, which is like his cool sword. And then he just uses it to blast Bara Vanish. <laughs> yeah, because apparently the Star Riser, like the star that is like the the hilt guard or whatever is also a laser blaster. And he just uses that to shoot Bara, like Bara vanish in the belly button, 
Which is, again, like millimeters away from Kenichi's head. It's it's closer than that. It's literally on his head. <laughs> and so, yeah, so like I thought there was going to be a thing. No, he just shot him. And so Bara vanishes. He drops Kenichi, and he sort of falls over the side, but he survives. He, we, then we pan down to the bottom, and he gets back up, and then the rangers are there. And they all kind of hit him at the same time with their weapons, which makes a lot of sense, except for, I can't remember what they're called, but there's a special name for them, but Jury's Nunchucks. Oh, uh, the Twin Batons. Thank you, the Twin Batons. Everybody else sort of like goes and like smacks Bara Vanish with their weapons, but I guess it would just have been awkward for her to use the Nunchucks. So what you see is that she's got just both Nunchucks in her hand, and then she just sort of pokes Bara Vanish with the chain end. It's it's a little awkward, but it's fine. Yeah, it is. So then they do the blaster and the smasher, like the king blaster, and then O-Red uses the king smasher. Oh, and then he goes over the side, sorry. Yeah. And then they use the big bang buster. The big bang buster. Uh, and, and, that, then that's, uh, yeah, and that is it for Borrow Vanish. It is early enough yeah. in the season that the, like, the, the big bang buster is. is more than enough to take care of these monsters. Yeah. Uh, so they, un- they unhension... And everybody is actually already, the other four rangers are, are a little more put together this time. Yeah, like, like they are not like as exhausted not, as they yeah, had Take been. as much out of them. So, uh, we, we flash up to the moon real quickly, and we see Emperor Bacchus' wrath. And he is furious. He's like, that was our only chance to get this information. Which, Which okay. tells us... Okay, clearly this tells us something about the Machine Empire. Right. Because my immediate question is... Why don't they just build a new one? Yeah, it's like, you guys are all robots. Just build another one. So clearly... But they can't... You know, so obviously they can't just build another one. So we must be in some sort of, like, decept... Like, Transformers-style situation where there are... They are robots, yes, but, like... There is some sort of like all spark style, right? Like they are a machine life to them. Yeah, they are a race of robotic life forms, or like of mechanical life forms, but they are not like machines that you can build. Well, except for maybe the cogs, because the cogs are like we see a factory where they are being built. I was good. I'm sorry, they're not cogs. Cogs are what they are called in Power Rangers Zio. The, yeah, they're, they're cogs, basically. Yeah, it's it's the bar of soldiers. Like those dudes clearly are are just straight up robots. They're just machines, and they can be built. But I guess the other monsters are are not. They are some sort of sentient machine, right? Um, or so we, you know, it's episode. We three. would assume based like, on this piece of information. Like we will, I guess, continue to figure that out as we move along. Yeah. So uh, Kenichi runs over and he's like, "Mister, Mister, like I'm okay," which. Goro, did you never introduce yourself? They were busy, he man. Ca- he says, like, Kenichi, we, hooray, Kenichi, we did it. And he's just calling him Mr. So maybe it's like a thing of translation and he's just being polite. But I think it's funnier if we assume that Goro just never introduced himself. But he says, listen, Kenichi, you clearly know something. Like, or you clearly are a target. Because they, I don't know, they did figure out why. He says, listen... The Baranoia Empire is going to continue to target you. Or may continue to target you. Yeah, they might. But, like, we will keep you safe. Like, we'll, like, we got you. We will keep you and the rest of planet Earth safe because we are, we are the O-Rangers. Ba-ba-ba-ba. And then Yeah. And, uh, and then that's it. Yeah. Uh, this episode rules. It's a really great introduction to sort of the, 
the Monster of the Week formula for at least the next couple of episodes. Yeah. um, Again, like, man, if this... Man, somebody already told us that, like, it doesn't... It does change a lot and and gets less cool. But, like, these first couple episodes of O-Ranger, like, rule super hard. Yeah, I am hoping that they will sort of at least... Even if the rest of the show is not cool in this way, I am hoping that, like... I will have enough sort of like good feelings momentum based on these first like eight, 10 episodes to really carry Mm -hmm. me through a long way. Yeah. Uh, So Matt, last thing to do, where does Barra Vanish go on the creature Royale? Okay. Um, I really like him. Yes. It's like a a gimmick monster of the week. I think like he is not, listen, He's not the sort of cool gimmick that, like, the space-time mammoth or the god noodle is. But, yeah, just as, like, a monster that doesn't have a lot of character but has a very specific set of abilities that make for a cool episode hook, I think that Barra Vanish works really well. Yeah, well, I am wondering how how much sort of personality we're ever going to see out of of these monsters. Uh, Because so far, like... Bar Drill, Bar Saucer, and Bar Vanish have all just been like they've showed up and they fought, but uh, but that's basically it. Um, I can tell you, having gotten a little further in this series than you are, that some of these monsters really do have a personality. Okay, no, that's great. I'm glad to hear that because I think that's going to make things a lot more fun. Um, but as for this monster, gosh, man, I don't know. Well, okay. Uh, like we said, he does have, he's got a really cool look. Mm-hmm. Like, he looks really, really, I think he looks neater than any of the other bar monsters we've seen so far. And he does have, he's got like a cool, as you said, a cool power hook. So, I'm just, I'm kind of looking around for somebody else who I think is like, got a neat power, but maybe themselves is not like, you know, like there's not a ton going on. Okay, well, what about Copy Empress? Oh, okay. Where's she on the list, Matt? Copy 59. Empress is currently number 59 on the list. Now, I think I actually like Copy Empress more than Barra Vanish. But yeah, I think that's I'm at cool least a that. decent place to start. Well, um, right below that is Kanagama, the slot machine dimension, which, uh, if I recall correctly, is the one that had, like, the bad luck coins, right? Yes. So that's also, I think, it's, you know, kind of a neat hook. Yeah, but we're and, it, it, that's still pretty high above, like, the snake armor and the four kings of heaven mm-hmm. and yeah. Duke Trump and the purse monk. Man, do you think that anything's ever going to get in between Duke Trump and purse monk? That's a tough call, Matt. I don't know. They, they, they just seem very... They're nicely paired there on the list, and they've been together for so long. I would feel so badly to break them up. <laughs> um, so, yeah, actually, man, now that you say that, I am looking around somewhere in that realm of, like, Snake Armor, Duke Trump, Purse Monk. I think the real question, Matt, is how far can Sick Dunks carry the Purse Monk? Well, Dave, I, it's been a while since you've seen the episode, so maybe you've forgotten just how sick those dunks were. They are really sick dunks. Um, now, <laughs> the the purse monk did not actually understand what a slam dunk was most of the time because he just referred to everything that he did as a slam dunk, but 
he was very cool, and he, he put weird very masks good at on people's heads and gathered them together to be sacrificed in a bizarre ceremony. The per- like the actual purpose of which I never quite understood. Yeah, so you know, actually, where Matt, where I'm looking is um, Nurikabe is the wall monster. He mm-hmm. was another like it was it was very unusual. It was a really neat hook that they that I feel like they did a lot with. Despite the fact that the monster himself was was not really did not really have a whole lot going on. Okay. Um, I think I like I think I like Bara Vanish a little bit better than Nurakabe. And I think and I think it's the look. I think Bara Vanish has a really, really cool look. Whereas Nurakabe was kind of a weird chunk of a wall. Yeah, Nurakabe definitely had an odd look. So Matt, are we are we cool with that? Just with uh at slot number sixty five, just above Nurakabe? I think that works for me. All right, man. Well, there we go. And that is going to do it for us. Yes, that is going to do it for another episode of For Your Eyes, O Ranger. Before we finish up here, I'd like to remind you all you can email the show at supersentibrothers at gmail.com. You want to get any updates on future episodes or check out the things that we're talking about on Twitter? We are at Bros. If you like the show, please remember that Shining in the Apple Podcasts app or wherever it is that you find this show... Uh, there are five stars. Please rate, review, subscribe, wherever it is. Uh, that's what's going to help new people find the show. Um, and that is always very nice. The Super Sentai Brothers are a production of Retrograde Orbit Radio. Once again, we are the Super Sentai Brothers. I'm Matt. I'm Dave. And we'll see you next week for the greatest show on Earth.